Hello, my loves, and welcome to the Sensitive Collective Podcast. I am your host and healing mentor, Laura Ann, and I created Sensitive Collective to be a space where empaths and sensitives can come and receive guidance, love, and support on their own healing and empowerment journey. Whether with just me or one of my guests, we show up in vulnerability to share our own stories and insights with the intention of creating a network of support for you, dear listener. Because feeling all the feels, healing from past trauma, old patterns, and learning how to navigate and fully step into your sensitivity superpowers can feel confusing and sometimes, honestly, super lonely. But you are not alone. There are more of us empaths and sensitives waking up to our nature every single day. And the work you're doing to heal yourself and claim your power is the work that will transform both you and the entire world. And it's why we're here. So join me on this sacred journey of self-discovery, self-love, and self-healing. We'll laugh, we'll cry, and we'll do it all together. I'm so happy you're here. Enjoy. Before we dive into today's episode, just a few questions and an invitation. Do you feel like you're meant for something more? You have a real calling on your heart to make a difference, but you're just not sure how, or maybe you're already in that space of doing that work, but it's so overwhelming and so draining that you're not sure how you can continue on with it. Maybe you're even starting to get sick or seeing, you know, different health issues rise up as a result of the work that you're doing. You feel so passionate about, do you feel disconnected from source from others? From your purpose? Do you struggle with relationships? Do you find yourself in consistent toxic relationship patterns? Are you a chronic people pleaser? You have trouble saying no? Is inner critic really taking over in your life? Do you find yourself doubting your inner knowing and your intuition? If any of this is resonating for you and you're here already listening to the Sensitive Collective podcast, then you probably know or suspect at least that you are an empath and a sensitive person. And I invite you to book a free discovery call with me to see if we're a fit to work together because it's my purpose work to create brave space for empaths and sensitives like you to meet themselves, to rediscover and remember not only who they are, but that that person is powerful beyond measure so that you can heal and so that you can step out of this mode of merely surviving into intentionally thriving within your life and within your relationships. So if that sounds intriguing to you, again, I invite you to book a free discovery call with me. I'll link the uh, discovery call in the episode notes. And without further ado, I will usher you into this week's episode. It's a really valuable one. Um, I'm so excited for, for you to hear it and I'm sending you lots of love. Welcome, dear ones, to another episode of the Sensitive Collective Podcast. I'm joined today by Shannon Petrovich, therapist, author, and YouTube creator specializing in helping people deal with and heal from narcissistic, abusive, and other toxic relationships. And thank goodness for that, Shannon. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited to dive in and um, speak to you on 
this area of expertise is something I have worked through healing with myself, with my clients that I know it's an area of just real struggle for empaths and for sensitives. So um, just putting out some real gratitude and shining that out to you for the work that you do in the world. It's so needed and it's such important, such important work. And I'm excited to talk about that with you today. Thanks. I'm excited to talk about it too. It's my, my passion and my work. Yeah. And as, as so often is the case with, with healers and with light bearers and way showers, we've kind of learned the hard way. <laughs> it's like we've, we've been inspired in our purpose and our passion to help others because of the experiences that we've had for ourselves. So if you're so called, I would love to open it for you to share kind of a little bit of your insight around your own journey that led you to this work. Sure. The, um, I actually had a very abusive relationship in late adolescence before college. And uh, luckily I was already set to go away to college and that gave me a natural break from it so that I could get my head out of the fog of it and get clear. But I always felt like I was kind of making it up. I didn't, mm -hmm. you know, I don't think that people really Whereas accepting of the idea of going to therapy in those days, and it was something that I certainly didn't have access to at that point. So I always felt like I was just trying to figure it out myself and make it up. And I think that was part of what drove me to graduate school in social work, clinical, uh, become a clinical social worker, and then become a therapist is really to help others in the, in the stuff that I struggled with so much. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for sharing that. I, I relate. I've been through um, some really, some doozies <laughs> relationships. <laughs> Looking back, I can see the lessons. Um, and again, you know, I believe life is happening for me. So I don't think I would be as powerful in the work that I do now if I hadn't had those experiences. Um, so that I think is um, just a perspective I like to share. Um, but one thing that came up in our conversation ahead of time, and that's really been such a, a theme that I've been deepening into um, with my own work and work with clients is the relationship between the relationship of our internal relationship dynamics and the relationships that we're drawn to um, that we manifest and that we create in our external reality as well, and our relationship with others. Um, what's your experience been with that? I think that's such an important aspect of our own self-understanding and our healing. And it's, it's such a complex thing and it, it can kind of wander into, well, it can wander into victim blaming if we're not careful. Mm. So it's very important to recognize when you're in a re toxic relationship with someone on the outside, it's possible that you've developed um, or been living with for a long time, a toxic relationship with yourself. And it, in my, um, in my book, out of the fog into the clear journaling to help you heal from toxic relationships, the first piece is to look at the relationship you have within your own mind, because if you're beating up on yourself continuously, if you're harsh, if you're your worst inner critic, and you're constantly battling that kind of internally negative voice, 
it's very easy to allow other people to say those negative things to you too, because it basically resonates and it's familiar. Now it's not comfortable. So we have to realize that it's not a comfortable thing, but it is familiar. And so it feels a certain resonance in a, in a really unconscious and unhealthy way. So that when we decide this external relationship is not for us, we have to first check in our, on our internal relationship. And sometimes it's, it's manifested from that relationship, but oftentimes we brought it from childhood mm -hmm. that we have these negative perceptions based on what we were experiencing as kids. And we've taken them with us into our adult lives so that we are our own worst critic and we are brutally harsh. And we talk to ourselves somewhere along the lines of 40,000 times a day. And if that's all harsh and mean and horrible, yeah. the way you would never speak to anybody else in your life, then you're living with that toxicity in your life all the time. And that's the place to start. And then after you get that cleaned up, it's easier to set boundaries with other people. I agree so much. It really is that inner critic work is foundational. Um, I think one of the biggest and one of the earliest in sort of my own like aware conscious healing uh, of, of the the part of my healing journey that I was actually intentionally participating in, I should say. <laughs> was um it was louise hey uh you can heal mm. your life and in that book talking about the inner critic and that's where i came up with the, that big aha moment from her like oh my gosh i've been i've been criticizing myself for years and it hasn't hasn't worked like it hasn't mm. actually made things better so here's a wild idea why don't you try not <laughs> criticizing yourself and and so I did I came up with my zero criticism policy and it absolutely revolutionized my life forever beautiful um yeah so it is it's so foundational and I think um there's a couple things that you brought up that I feel like are really important for us to circle back to um there was somewhere else I wanted to go with inner critic but I've lost that thread so we'll go we'll we'll pick it up if it if it falls across my path again but another thing that you mentioned that I feel is so important is um the being really aware and intentional of how we're doing this work um because when we're looking at you know the resonance of internal relationship and um, the toxicity of, of the relationship that we have in, in our dynamic with our inner critic and that self dialogue that we're getting, um, you know, 40,000 times a day, um, that people talk about, you know, it manifests relationships into our life. And I think it's a really careful way, like, let's, let's look at this a little bit closer because this comes up a lot. And you mentioned victim blaming. And I think that is so, so often overlooked um, and uh, just ignored. And so I really wanna highlight that and please talk to us more. Tell us more about that and your perspective on it. Yeah, so I think when, when, when I hear, you know, that that makes us manifest in our lives, it isn't, it isn't like that. It's really that, yes, absolutely as empaths. You know, I I have a YouTube channel that um that I started about five years ago because it felt like 
sharing what I've learned with one person one hour at a time just wasn't enough. So um, I knew everybody was on YouTube and I jumped in. Um, and, and a lot of what people were asking for and really craving was information about toxic relationships. And in particular, empathic people um, falling into relationships with narcissistic people. And so there's, again, a, a temptation to say that we draw them. Well, the truth is a narcissistic person is looking for somebody just like us. Like, yes. why wouldn't, <laughs> like, why wouldn't they be, you know, they're, they're all about themselves and we're mm. all about others. They're, uh, they need all the attention. We don't need the attention. They need people who are loving, caring, forgiving, and, um, willing to believe in a person. And we are all of those things. So of course we are their first choice. Um, but that doesn't mean we have to be a victim because if we see that coming and if we really are doing that caring work in, internally, if I really know who I am and I really care about myself and have respect for myself, then my creepo meter is on track. <laughs> the creepo I, meter. I love that. <laughs> and so when I meet somebody like that, they just peg my creepo meter so fast. And I have, I, and I can sit back and marvel at them and laugh and, internally and just go, wow, okay, I got your number, buddy. And, you know, this is males and females. So I'm not picking on men at all. But I know who that person is because it doesn't resonate any longer with that self yeah. um, condemnation or that, or that need to be needed, you know, yeah. back in the day when I was really um, in that codependent place within myself, I needed to be needed. And so that narcissistic person, that abusive, toxic person who needed somebody like me, I was all about it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. That is the danger when you are not in your healthy self, then you have those tendencies to accept that kind of, of person into your life. So it isn't that we, we manifested or we drew them. It's that they're all around us and we didn't know how to say no and, and, there's, and oh, move on. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. Well, and there's that when you're talking about resonance and the normalization of that inner dialogue and that it's familiar and you know very often from primary caregivers or you know we you learned that inner dialogue of the inner critic and that high judgment somewhere um along the way and have internalized that and accepted that and we we haven't sort of questioned it. So there's been that internalization and that identification with the voice of the inner critic. So we believe, like there was a time, I really, I look back, I can remember, I believed, I couldn't even fully distinguish the voice of my inner critic from just the truth of exactly. who I was. Exactly. And so when I was engaging in relationship with someone who mirrored that back to me, it felt again, normal right my creepo meter didn't register right? <laughs> it doesn't go off yeah and, and and there's so many broken of that. yeah it's like it's the energetic frequency there's actual it's like the way your nervous system receives it your nervous system is kind of 
reoriented around this as as the base as the normal um as the familiar and that's how you know really toxic abusive relationships actually we don't get the physical danger responses that our nervous systems are wired to give us because it's been normalized to the point that it feels familiar and familiar translates as safe and so our nervous system actually reads it as a safe relationship when it's anything but that exactly you're absolutely right on and it's so um, true too that a narcissistic or abusive or other toxic person is incredibly adept at manipulation mm. and so they tag right into your worst um, critis- critical part of your of your internal critic so they know the buttons to push yeah. to to first of all kind of love bomb you and make you feel special and that they just adore you and think you're the cat's pjs but then and then kind of chip away at your um, and hit those buttons so that whenever you step out of line, they hit that button and make you feel less than and make you feel like you're not valuable. And there's nobody in the world that would love you except them. So it's a very, and that's where the trauma bond happens. And so this is another part that a lot of people don't understand is that the cycling of love bombing and devaluing is what hooks you. If they just love bombed you, you'd feel like, oh, this is great. If they just were negative and were devaluing, you would get sick of it and you'd leave. But it's the, as soon as you get sick of it, then they throw you a breadcrumb. And then as soon as you um, start to feel comfortable or safe, then they devalue you to make Mm -hmm. you feel insecure. And then they're basically training you to keep beating up on yourself. And then their work is done. You're kind of doing it to yourself continuously. And they're outsourcing the work to you. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I love that outsourcing. (laughs) And then you layer in with that, you know, the the consistent, again, it's like a part of that devaluing that gaslighting where you start Mm -hmm. to really doubt yourself. You start to doubt your own grasp on reality. Well, did is that how that's how I remember it but was that really and and that then it's just then it's in deep and then you think well if I just did more of what they said they needed yeah and I just did less of what they told me not to do then we would be back to where it was in the beginning which was awesome but the thing is is that it was never awesome it was an intentional manipulation on their part And it felt awesome, but it's not real. And it never was real. Real love is a gradual growth into love. And it's not love bombing. It doesn't feel that way. And real love never has the devaluing aspects to it. And so if if any of those things are happening, that's not love. So it's, it's very confusing for a lot of people, but that, you know, seeing the gaslighting, seeing the isolation because they will isolate you from your people to make sure you don't have anybody telling you that this is unhealthy. Yeah. Yeah. Getting those, those different accurate reflections, right. That actually confirm and validate your experience, which is, you know, very counter to their plan. Um, Yeah, absolutely. I want to circle back to boundaries because that's so big and in developing 
you know, the, the healthy self relationship so that you mentioned, you know, when I'm in my healthy relationship within myself and that sort of toxic behavior isn't really familiar to me anymore and it does register on the creepometer, that means that I have then access to set boundaries, um, which is yet another area that, um, you know, as I'm sure you get requests to talk about it all the time as well, like that is something that empaths and sensitives, we really tend to struggle with because mm -hmm. we're so open and we're so sensitive. And so we have such high emotional intelligence and empathy um, that we can take on the emotion and energy of others. We can over identify with it and and layered in with that, it's like all the nervous system, all the things we're talking about, you know, the, the ways that we've learned to survive that are familiar to us very often lead to us having very porous or, you know, so porous, I'm, I'm thinking about like, you know, some of my favorite shirts that I've worn so much. It's like, it's just a few threads <laughs> holding it together. You know, it's like porous to non-existent boundaries. Um, and so I'm always so interested. I have my own take on uh, boundaries and I'm always so interested to hear, especially from an expert like yourself, what what your own perspective is on boundaries and you know anything you would like to share that you feel would be supporters supportive to our listeners um in creating healthier boundaries for themselves yes boundaries 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 um, <laughs> i, I actually a have video. a podcast episode <laughs> called boundaries boundaries oh really okay cool <laughs> <laughs> i did a video a few years ago called my empathy is killing me and it's because that is just so true for us that we struggle so much with boundaries. And a lot of times people will go from that extreme to the opposite extreme and say, well, F that and F everybody. And I'm going to climb down in this howitzer tank and I'm going to point my guns yeah. at everybody that comes near me. And that's it. And so it can be swinging from wildly from one extreme to the other and neither one is healthy. So boundaries are actually where I leave off and somebody else begins. And a boundary is a, a way I protect myself in a relationship. And that sounds simplistic, but it's a really important foundation because we're not trying to control anybody, even though the person will say, oh, you're giving me an ultimatum or you're trying to control me or whatever. And that, and that that kind of feedback to an empath is like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, no, I'm not. <laughs> and so it will. I swear, that, I swear. <laughs> under, yeah. So that's the first line of, of attack to undermine your boundaries is to call it out as narcissistic or abusive or, um, or being mean to them. Um, so it's not mean, it's just how you're protecting yourself in the relationship. And what that looks like is that, you know, I will not be treated that way. I will not be spoken to that way. I know that in my own self, I don't talk to myself that way and I'm not going to accept it from anybody else, but it's not a, you know, climbing in the tank and slamming the, the roof shut. It's a, it's a, an emotional stepping back. Mm. So I can emotionally step back from a person when I see that they're violating my boundaries. And then I can physically step back if I need to, too, but I can, I can literally emotionally step back and stay physically present because I'm not letting that person hurt me. Now, of course, this, we're not talking about physical abuse. If somebody is physically abusive, I'm bolting and I'm, 
calling the police. So that's not that we're talking about emotional stuff. But when you have a good sense of self and 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 you set good boundaries within yourself, then you know how to sort of set them with others. And it can start as a very low level thing, like, you know, giving somebody the eyeball, like, oh, no, you did not just say that. <laughs> <laughs> or, or no, that wasn't funny. Or yeah. no, you know, you're not flirting with me. I'm a married person and that's incredibly disrespectful or whatever. Like it can be just a look. But then if it needs to escalate further, you know how to escalate it further and you can stand your ground no matter what it takes. So it, it's that sort of thing where, where the boundary first is emotionally stepping back and disconnecting emotionally from that person and the, whatever their drama is. So I'm not getting hurt by it. Um, and a lot of times clients and, and people I speak with on YouTube have to stay in relationship with a person who's toxic, either they are co-parenting or they are, you know, it's an adult child that you want to stay in relationship with, or it's a parent you want to stay in relationship with. So if you emotionally step back and I call it watching the circus go by that you can go, Oh, wow. They're totally lying right there. <laughs> oh there goes that gaslighting thing again oh and now they're trying to manipulate me I'm not buying into it so you can watch that and not get involved in it not engage but stay in relationship just to exchange the kids or have a pleasant conversation so it, it, boundaries are are an art and, and a science um, but they always work so the other way that I encourage people to use boundaries, sometimes in a relationship with a partner, um, people have sometimes sort of set that in motion over a time period, and they haven't really insisted that they their thoughts, feelings, needs, and wants have mattered. And so now they want to change that and beginning to share their own thoughts, feelings, wants, and needs and beginning to set boundaries. Sometimes the other person wants that deeper relationship too. And they are willing to respect those boundaries. So great. You can have a relationship. You can restore that relationship. And I've seen that happen. Um, but sometimes when you do that, the other person escalates. And so what they're saying to you is you don't get to matter in this relationship. That is against my rules. And so then that gave you the information you needed to really yeah. sever the relationship. Yeah. So a lot of people will say, well, boundaries don't work. And I say boundaries always work because it either establishes a new relationship yeah. that can be restored, or it tells you this cannot be restored. This person will not let you fully exist in this relationship, period. I think that's so valuable. Um, thank you so much for sharing. I I I really... I love talking about other people's reactions to boundary setting. Um, you know, I agree with you. Boundary setting is an art and a science, and it can seem so simple, but it's not simplistic. And um, there are different layers of it, different, like you said, different levels you can escalate to as needed. Um, and I think what what I've experienced, I've experienced kind of both of these things that you're speaking to. Um, and one of the, there's a bit of a middle ground that I want to highlight as well. And so, you know, when we're 
setting boundaries in a relationship that's been around for a while, whether it's with an old friend, a romantic partner, a, a parent. Um, it's the first time that we're showing up more truly as ourselves in this more healthy, present way where I matter. I love the way you say that, like you, your needs matter. Um, and and it can be a real shock to the system. Right? It's yeah. almost like yeah. if I've had, you know, blonde hair my entire life and all of a sudden I show up and uh, I've, you know, I've got raven black hair mohawk, like that's going <laughs> to turn some heads. They're like, whoa, is this you now? Like, okay, right. all right, give me a second to kind of get mm-hmm. used to it. Right? This is you. That's cool. I just, you know, and so I think there's that space um of cultivation of boundaries right and that kind of you know giving people grace to make that adjustment to have that time to adjust and so there's again there's uh there's subtleties of those reactions and so maybe the person when you first set the boundary they might have a volatile reaction at first because they're triggered because it's you know it's triggering for them some violation that happened for themselves in in past relationship um, and or bringing them back to a place where uh, they felt attacked right so they might go on the defensive um, if, if they're not used to people setting boundaries with them and they don't understand that it's not an ultimatum and they're that's how they're hearing it and perceiving it, right so there are all these different ways that someone could receive that boundary and so it just takes giving them some grace And again, just really clearly communicating, like, I promise it's not an ultimatum. I just, this is something I really need. Um, And, you know, if you're clear on yourself of why you're setting the boundary, why that boundary needs to be created, it makes it much easier to then communicate it. And then just to continue to cultivate that, and it may take a few times for you to have to say, like, hey, you remember that talk we had about, about boundaries? Like, remember that thing that I I said I need you know isn't okay you just did it (laughs) I just want to like point to it again and say again that's not okay and just know that that's that could happen a few times um and if after that the reaction doesn't as you say de-escalate from the other person if it stays the same or heightens and they continue to get defensive and deny the validity of your your boundary, et cetera, et cetera. That's that's a major red flag. Like that's a carnival of red flags. I love your <laughs> analogy. And you can say, you know, then then you can use that information to make an informed decision about um, whether or not that relationship is actually a healthy one for you. Right. And um, I think of it like a it's kind of like a grown up timeout. And so, <laughs> you know, sometimes you, you want to give those timeouts um, a few times before you give up on the relationship, but, but you do need that space and that time to just sort of step back and take care of yourself and yeah. maybe really increase and improve your own self-care if this person is tearing you down a little bit. Um, and, and again, step back and take notes. And what do they do when I want to fully show up? I like what the way you said that, um, you know, if, if my thoughts and feelings and wants and needs do matter to them, 
great. We've got a new, a new way to be together. But if they just need all the air in the room, if they need all the attention, if they need all of my effort and energy, it's just not sustainable. Yeah. So after giving a few grown up timeouts, then you get to see what happens. If they're still tantruming like a crazy person, then it's done. <laughs> Life's too short. Don't put up with that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Grown up timeout and tantrums. Yep. All of that. All of that for sure. I, I just, I keep thinking about the way that my relationship with my father has evolved mm. over the years. Um, and he's, he's, you know, now he's in his seventies and he can still throw a tantrum with the best of them. <laughs> and, um, just because of my own healing, our relationship has absolutely transformed yeah. and we have a relationship. Yeah. That's beautiful. I'm so glad that you that you shared that and that you've experienced that because it is true that oftentimes when we show up differently and somebody really loves you, like your father obviously does, then there's potential for healing. And so yeah. we can't give up. And I've seen so many occasions recently where people are severing relationships, especially with parents and just saying, nope, they're a narcissist and I'm not dealing with them anymore. And they're completely estranged from really decent loving parents. And and I think that's really sad. If you haven't given it a chance to, if you haven't really sat down and talked with them or gotten with a therapist with them, then don't just sever, you know, there, there's probably so much still there. So your experience is really beautiful. And I like to talk about the three P's, um, people pleasing, placating, and and peacekeeping. Yeah. These are are the bane of our existence. And so we undermine ourselves hopelessly with these three P's. And when we live in that place of constantly doing that, we are not showing up it's actually dishonest. So it's easy for us to think that we're being the martyr, we're being sort of um, angelic, and it's not, it's dishonest. We're not really being present in any of our relationships when we're doing those things. And we're undermining ourselves mm-hmm. um, and our own, our own um, really experience in any of our relationships. So when we can stop doing those three things, and show up fully in our relationships, then we get to see. And like with your father, you got to see that there's a wonderful relationship there. And if he has a tantrum, you have the ability to walk away and let him work it out himself. It's not yeah. your job. Do that. Do the daughter eye roll. They're like, all right, <laughs> I'll see you later. Not my circus. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's not your circus, not your monkeys. And, and letting other people be responsible for their emotions and you being responsible for your own, you know, saying, I'm really uncomfortable when you have these explosions and I'm just going to go home for now and we can talk about it later. So that's where the, the temporary thing comes in, where you're not discounting and disconnecting from the relationship all the way forever and ever. Amen. You're actually just disconnecting from that tantrum. Yeah. And it's such such valuable reflection back. Um, and it's so true. And that's been my experience 
Um, I want to come back to the three P's because I love that. And I, I people pleasing, placating and peacekeeping, peacekeeping. There it is. <laughs> um, these these are also nervous system responses. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, they are. I love to remind myself <laughs> and the listeners that, you know, any behaviors that we have adopted and adapted into our lives are there because they worked. Mm -hmm. They're there Absolutely. because they helped us to survive. And, um, and so, you know, I just to put that out there and remind yourself of that, there's nothing wrong with you. You're not bad because you're a chronic people pleaser. It's just the way you adapted and learned to survive uh, into adulthood. And it's a pattern of survival that is no longer serving. And in my experience with people pleasing, especially, but even you know peacekeeping and placating, there's this element of self-deception. Yeah. Where it's like you're you're that chameleon who mm -hmm. and, and it comes back to boundaries, right? Um, and having those porous boundaries where I'm never fully comfortable with being fully present as myself. Right. Because I'm always, I'm always taking the temperature. I'm always, mm -hmm. is it safe? Is it safe? Can I, how do I, what color do I need to shift to? I'm going to be a, a chameleon, right? That's a very common experience for us. Um, and, you know, it works until it doesn't. And in my experience, um the the people pleasing the peacekeeping and the placating uh, eventually um you know led to and were related to uh, addictive behaviors and chronic illness like i can draw a direct line from both of those back to my sense of self um and these these behaviors of of people pleasing placating and, and peacekeeping um because then it's it's those when you talk about those boundaries within yourself that I think ties back to that too right it's you're having those porous boundaries within myself so I'm gonna overshare <laughs> like I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna people please and 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 for myself my own needs um feelings thoughts they don't matter that's right. what that behavior again and again and again is bringing home said it doesn't really matter so i'm gonna change to fit the container right and that complete focus on the other is is part of how we become toxic to ourselves yeah because we're so focused on that other person or people's moods wants needs emotions all of it their dreams their aspirations we cease to exist and oftentimes when I'm counseling somebody who's coming out of a toxic relationship, they literally don't know what they feel. They don't know what they like. They don't know what they want. Yeah. They're, they're empty. They've spent a lifetime um, placating and peacekeeping other people, and they don't even know themselves. So it's a, it's a really dark place. And that's why sometimes when a person is trying to get out of a relationship, they go running back. Yeah. And so people will always, again, blame the victim and say, well, that just person just keeps manifesting that in their lives. But the truth of it is that they have 
have so trained themselves to be so focused on other people that they don't, they literally don't know themselves. So the last third of my book is all about rebuilding mm. and rebuilding your sense of self, rebuilding your connectedness to others, rebuilding your dreams and hopes and wants and needs and all of it, because you're oftentimes so empty and it's just a super important thing that you do that. Cause if you don't, guess what? <laughs> the next person that comes by and needs you, you're all about it. So you have to really do that work to rebuild before you let yourself get into another relationship or even not get into a relationship. Just gift yourself with a being just within yourself. So yeah. it's a it's a really important piece to look at how much we do that and how much that undermines our sense of self um, and how empty we become. Yeah. So that when 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 we're only looking outward at other people, then when we go into a room and we're all about, you know, where am I needed? Where am I needed? And so that makes us a prime victim for a person who is all about themselves and is looking for somebody like that, that will just feed them, you know, feed their ego, supply their wants, needs, and, and desires and, and placate their every mood and emotion. Yeah. And that's the really awful stuff. Yeah. I'm looking for that continual catering, mm -hmm. um, personalized, customized, anytime you want it, energy on a platter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I resonate so much too with taking a break from relationship to really do the work. And I, mm -hmm. I believe you can do work in relationship. And I think, I think relationship can be a really amazing container and mirror uh and almost like you know accelerator for growth right? true <laughs> depending totally on the true. relationship and <laughs> it's safe and if you have a partner who is um you know conscious and wanting to show up and do that that growth work with you mm -hmm. um for me i i ended up well intentionally i was going to take a year of just fully being single really intentionally working on myself to exactly what you're talking about like you do some really deep kind of reprogramming of of self <laughs> and internal relationship dynamic healing and shifting and, and i got to this place i was like i feel great and i'm ready to i'm ready to get out there again and then COVID happened oh no <laughs> what timing like, jokes on you laura and you get two years of of working on yourself <laughs> <laughs> but it is amazing uh -huh. what a difference that made. Yeah. And, and I think, um, you know, so often I can, I can remember, you know, these former versions of myself in these toxic, abusive relationships where it does feel hopeless. It's like, how do I, I don't even know. I can't even see the first stair. Like, yeah. I can't even see the first step how the hell am I supposed to get out of this situation? Right. And, and it sounds to me like your book is an oxygen tank, that your book is the first stone on the path for someone who is in that place um, to really give them a brave space within themselves to reconnect with, re-identify with who they are um, and to do some of this really foundational work. 
Yeah, and I, I did it as a journaling prompts book. It's just packed full of information, strategies, and journaling prompts. And not everybody loves to journal, but I think it can be such a great way to dialogue with yourself and really dig into some of these issues. And I wanted to do it that way so that people, I know millions of people in the world who don't have access to therapy or coaching or anything like that, so that they could walk through this um, as best they could with or without a therapist and, and really get through this in a better, healthier way than they've done it before in the past, because oftentimes people will come out of a relationship, maybe spend a little bit of time healing and then jump right back into another one. And that's just sad to me that, um, that we kind of keep going through that same roller coaster over and over again, or even rebounding back into the same toxic relationship. And that's even more tragic because that is not going to change more than likely. So it, it, it was, you know, I did really sit down to, to write it so that it could be helpful to people um, going through that. And it's out of the fog into the clear, because when you're in it, exactly like what you said, I mean, I felt it too. Like I couldn't even see around me. Um, It was like pea soup fog all around me. And people would say, you know, this isn't healthy. Oh, no, no, you don't understand the way I do. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. you just don't understand you you just don't so know many do. excuses oh no he would never hurt me no no that's not no you don't understand yeah I mean yeah. it's just you have no idea and that's that's that trauma bonded mind our amygdala mm-hmm. is so reactive and so emotionally bonded to this person and so a big part of my first step in getting clear is to really look at the rational mind as separate from the amygdala, uh, calm down the little amygdala and, and use your rational mind to make a healthy decision yeah. and then walk through it, even though your amygdala is screaming. <laughs> yes, I love that. And remind you said, out of the fog into the clear, that's the title of your book. And, and Shannon's very humble, but she's a, an Amazon number one bestseller. So um, this, this journaling prompt book has just help so many people on their journey. Um, Shannon, for folks who are interested, just uh, share with us how they can connect with you. If other than your book, there there are any offers or anything you wanna really highlight for them to to seek out? Yes, so my landing page is Mm. nofoggydays.com or therapisttalks.com. My YouTube channel is Therapist Talks and I usually do, um, you know, new content or I'll, um, post podcasts, interviews, and also um, do a live stream Q and A about every other weekend. So there are a lot of those on my channel as well. So at nofoggydays.com, you'll see the link to my book and also my YouTube channel and LinkedIn and some and some blogs and all kinds of stuff. So that's all, my all main landing site. Yeah. <laughs> well, Shannon, thank you so much for coming into this space and sharing your experience, your insight, your perspective. Um, It's been illuminating and you're an absolute delight. Thank you so much, Laura. This has been a wonderful experience. Oh, you're so welcome. Shannon, I'm going to close this out reminding myself, you, our listeners, as I always do, that you're doing the best you can where you're at with what you've got. 
and I love you.